boy, Sophia Mommy Thompson. Welcome to the family. You are part of the family because you've been stuck in me before, but welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. How how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, it's the weekend. I'm feeling good. Yeah, I feel great actually. That's good. Always gotta ask, you know what I'm saying? Gotta make sure, you know, where people are mentally, spiritually, physically, all that. I appreciate uh, that. And, I, and it felt like a genuine, not just, how are you? You know, people ask that, they don't mean it, but. No, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, I wanna I want to start like this. Uh, you, you, you say true luxury is having a choice and access to shop mindfully. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, I feel like in my field, like being a creative director and a publicist, especially like when it comes to fashion, um, there's always this conversation or a lot of times people are always asking, you know, what is like, what is actually luxury? Or some people feel like luxury is just how much money you spend on a designer bag or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, but I just feel like my experience and just what I've learned from others and reading a lot and listening a lot um, about the luxury industry is that it really is like the choice and the access to shop mindfully. And what I mean by that is us as people of color having the ability to think about why we're buying something mm -hmm. or even having the means to buy what we want to buy. Um, and the thought honestly just came to me when I was really trying to figure out, okay, so if every brand is calling themselves luxury, then like, what is the true luxury, right? It's like nowadays when somebody comes up with the brand, everybody is like luxury this, luxury that, or mm -hmm. they have a certain aesthetic that, you know, we all start to look the same in a way. Um, but I think for me, I just wanted to kind of question that and go deeper to find out what does that really mean? And um, it's made me understand that, you know, I think people of color should have every right to live a life worth living for themselves, like because they thought about it and because like they sought out those items, whether it's buying something, whether it's having vacation time, whether it's helping people, whatever the case may be, um, it's just having that mindful approach to live. Mm -hmm. instead of just taking what we what we're given mm -hmm. which is usually the narrative in our community yeah yeah that's that's deep where, where are you from i'm from ghana born and raised well i was born here but oh you were born here all right so first yeah. generation yes first generation dmv all day but i'm also Ghanaian. hey where'd you go to college and what did you study oh yeah so i well i went to schools two schools for undergrad um mm -hmm. first i went to marymount manhattan in new york and actually, when I was in New York, I was studying uh, philosophy and religious studies. I thought I was mm. going to go to seminary, which is really funny. Um, so that was my freshman year. And then um, I transferred to UMBC mm -hmm. in Maryland. Shout out to UMBC uh, for the rest of my college career. So that's really the school I always claim. Um, and at UMBC, I studied Africana studies, um, which was honestly just Black studies in the terms of history, urban development, economics, et cetera. So I literally studied black, the black American experience, just the black experience in general and um, what that experience is like with business and culture. And yeah. Being, being, you know, a descendant of, of Ghanaian parents, uh, was there anybody in your family that was, you know, uh, into the influence, into the uh, entrepreneur, you know, field and it, how much of an impact did they have on you, if any? Sure. Um, so honestly, both of my parents are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up, they both, they're both like born salespeople, I would say, just naturally, like my dad can sell a rock to the ground, like, <laughs> um, but they're, they're natural salespeople and um, it definitely comes from their background. So when my 
dad first came to America and my mom, uh, they both worked in retail. They mm -hmm. worked at like a major retailer for years. Uh, my mom was the manager of alterations at Nordstrom and Annapolis for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And my dad worked at Nordstrom in Montgomery Mall uh, for women's shoes. And I think that's really where they learned like retail industry and customer service and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, although my mom was raised um, in a house that had a sewing business. Mm -hmm. um, so my grandmother taught her and her four sisters how to sew. They had a garment factory. They had a uniform school, all that good mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and my dad is just a hustler, honestly. So he he came from a very different background in Ghana. He wasn't really privileged in the way my mom was, um, but he figured it out and was able to, you know, really learn how to sell things in order to get what he wanted. And uh, from there, when they were done working in retail, my mom went on to go open her own business um, in the bridal industry. She owns a bridal store. And my dad started off in insurance. Um, and from there, went to go build his own businesses, which now he's currently still running and um, having in Ghana as well. So I come from two entrepreneurial parents. Like I've mm. never, beyond when I was a child, I never really saw my parents like clock in. And if they did clock in, they were always like in a managerial or supervising role of some sort. Yeah. 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 So at what point did you, did you say, look, I need to create a PR agency, PR firm that, you know, is for, for women of color to empower, keyword empower them, uh, you know, to build their brands and, and strong brands at that. Yeah. So honestly, for me, I fell into PR um, because I think, unfortunately, and I things are getting better now um, in the DMV, that like creative scene. But I think, unfortunately, we didn't always like know those terms even existed. Mm. Like we weren't aware. Like I think before when we thought about fashion and beauty, we thought, oh, you have to be a fashion designer. And even with beauty, it's like, oh, you have to be a model. Like growing up, you didn't really think of, oh, you can study chemistry and make formulations or you can work in marketing or you can work in PR. I, I personally was not exposed to that growing up. Like if I heard beauty, I thought you were doing cosmetology or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say for me, not knowing that even when I was like pursuing things in school and everything, like the thing I thought I was going to become was like a fashion editor or a beauty editor because I love to read. I love media outlets. I love magazines and things of that nature. Um, so for grad school, I went to the new school in New York. Um, it's a part of Parsons School of Design. And I went to the new school for my journalism degree, my master's journalism degree. And while I was there, I had two internships. I had an editorial internship for journalism and I had a PR internship. And I came to honestly just love my PR internship more because number one, they were paying me. <laughs> Mm. And like as a grad student, it was like, okay, cool. I can get paid for this. I didn't even know, like my ideas are worth paying for. And then number two, um, I loved how I could combine my different passions in PR. So if I had a passion to, you know, host an event, or if I felt like, let me plan a pop-up shop for this client, I can do it. Whereas with the editorial side of things, you're rather waiting for things to happen. And then you're interviewing about it or you're writing about it. And although like both are needed to help brands grow and to give exposure to people, I really found like the energy in PR. And mm -hmm. so that attracted me to it. And honestly, I used to go back and forth on it like, oh, but I still love editorial and, you know, I love to write and things like that. Um, but even like with what I do now in PR, I'm always writing, like mm -hmm. if I'm pitching a client or reaching out to media on behalf of a client, I'm writing the story for that client first. So um, I would say that I fell into PR just by doing it. Mm -hmm. 
So it was natural to me. So I'm, my, my guess is SMT PR stands for Sophia Mame Thompson PR. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what 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 I want to hear like the the story behind is for me. Like what you know what I mean? Like what was it that was like yo? Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this agency and not just work for somebody, but I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah. Um. Honestly, a lot of it at first was not seeing an agency that was willing to hire someone like me. Like I felt like um initially when i was starting off in pr there was one woman that took a chance on me and i love her forever her name is danica daily and she is in new york i'm danica daily pr that's the pr firm i had interned for danica taught me all of the foundational things i knew about pr and to be quite honest like she took a chance in me and mm -hmm. so that made me feel like i could take a chance in myself um and even prior to grad school I had interned um, for a brand called Shea Radiance and did their social media marketing. And although I grew and transitioned out of social media because that's just another grace that I didn't have um, to like always engage and always be creating content. But from those experiences and seeing these women of color, like um, Caribbean and African women, because Danica's Caribbean, mm -hmm. um, bio Shea Radiance is Nigerian, seeing these women do things and, and their women of color and they're not from here and they just really took their own and did what mm -hmm. they had to do. I honestly think that's really what inspired me because initially I was not thinking that I would own my own business. My goal was to either work for a magazine or work for an agency, a PR agency. Mm -hmm. uh, I always was trying to go after someone to see me like, Oh, mm -hmm. someone to see me, someone to see me like, you know, career wise. And to be honest, when no one was seeing me, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, Sophia, so you can make your own lane or you can keep waiting for this. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just make my own lane. And I will say I fell into it because I started having clients before I ever had an agency name, before I even ever like knew what I was doing in terms of like my taxes. Like I just always had clients. Like it's kind of funny, mm -hmm. but it's almost like the people I worked with earlier on saw in me what I didn't know I had. And um, that is like the passion that really birthed for me to start the PR agency. And another experience that I had was um, I worked as a marketing associate at a company mm -hmm. called Soapbox Soaps. Shout out to Soapbox. I love them to this day. Um, and Soapbox is actually owned by uh, two like white guys, really down to earth, great guys, um, Dave and Dan. And um, Dave, he was the CEO. And what I loved about Dave so much is that during my interview, he asked me what my hair type was. And this is like a white guy with like, like white, <laughs> it's not, he's not even like a, like a white homeboy, just a white guy. Mm -hmm. And I was so intrigued by like, wow, like you care about your brand this much. And you know, that you want to reach people of color that you, you even know what hair types are, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and he, he didn't say it in a derogatory way. He said it in a way to like relate to me and mm -hmm. make me feel seen in an environment where I was the only black person. And, um, I just remember thinking like, wow, like if somebody that's not in our culture can make me feel seen that way, like, what can I do for others to feel seen that way? Yeah. Uh, so that's really what made me go after that. And all of those people and even more that maybe I, I'm forgetting to mention, um, who I still appreciate, they made me realize that our gifts and our passions can help us earn a living. Like mm -hmm. they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think that foundation was set in me with my parents where, you know, my mom could have easily come here and say, okay, well, and this is no disrespect to anyone who's in the healthcare industry, because we love you all, we need you. But she could have came here and said, okay, let me be a nurse because, you know, I see other African women doing that. Like, 
and they have my trade too, but maybe they make it small scale, but she always, my parents always just believed in themselves to do what they do on a big scale. And so that also for me, when I was seeing that certain doors weren't being open, I started thinking like, okay, is this God's way of telling me to also think of myself on that scale? Um, and so, yeah, that's how that came about. Just seeing others bet on me and bet on themselves made me want to bet on myself and others as well. So, so who 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 is uh who can be considered a creative director and like can anybody do it? Um not everyone can do it depending on how you define it. So I define creative director as a creative project manager. That is how I define it. You are figuring out it whether it's for a client or a project of your own, you are figuring out the storytelling you're figuring out what needs to be told in each frame of the storytelling. And you're also figuring out who needs to be hired to get this story done. When are we meeting to discuss the story? When are we paying these people? Where's the location? Like a creative director handles all of that much in the same way a project manager would handle an IT project or a restaurant, whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of people when they hear creative director are more so thinking of like one particular role, like somebody might hear a creative director and think, oh, um, you're the person that is styling the set, for example. And although a creative director might get involved in the styling, they're really the person that has like the bird's eye view to know, okay, what is going on that we need to share and talk about. Um, and so I would say everyone can be a creative director because well, everyone can't be it and do it sustainably and successfully because it takes a lot of planning and thinking ahead. And so someone might think like, oh, I can be a creative director. You know, I dress well, or I style well. Like there's even some great stylists, right? That even find that, okay, no, I need a creative director because I need to know what is the timeline that I have to get clothing in order for us to have this shoot next Saturday, right? Whereas like, if you think you're just going to do something because you have ideas, to be very honest, it does, doesn't always come to pass. Um, so I'm that person that takes ideas from concepts into fruition and everyone's not able to do that. And that's okay. Right? Like we all have our strengths. And I think that a lot of my clients have amazing ideas and the people I've worked with have amazing ideas, but sometimes they need that person that's going to actually see it to completion. And then that, that's where I come in as a creative director. What is, what is PR? Like what is public relations and how do people get it wrong? Like how, how can a brand get public relations wrong? Sure. So public relations is honestly, in my simple definition, I'm um, just the public's perception of you and your brand. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's literally what the word says, public relations. So it's how you relate to the public. Um, how does the public see you? How do you want your brand to be seen that the public doesn't currently see yet? Um, so for example, someone may want to be known as warm and welcoming, but your branding as a package makes the public feel like you think you're high and mighty, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where PR is really just how the public perceives you. And the way that I come into that is I listen to my clients and what they want for their brand publicly and through their brand messaging. And from there, I come up with strategies that we can share that message with the public, which is the PR side of things. But then I also work on the branding side of things to make sure that what we're packaging and what we're sharing is what you want for your brand and your business. And so mm -hmm. 
like my former example, if you're saying you want something warm and all of your branding is like dark and doesn't show who you are, then I'm going to give you brand advice on, okay, we need to do X, Y, Z. Before <laughs> I share this with the public. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that would be how they work together. One last definition here. What is brand copy and how is it different from brand imagery? Oh, sure. So brand copy is what you say about your brand. Um, and so it is how you define your brand. It is what you write in your social media captions It's what you write on your website. It's even what you write for your product descriptions. If you sell a product and if you have a service it's what you write for your service description. Mm -hmm. um, so that's copy. So copy is simply just words um, mm -hmm. that have a particular purpose. And so you may even hear an editor or a journalist refer to copy when it comes to writing about something um, for a media outlet mm -hmm. and brand visuals are what we see of your brand. That is videos, photography, um, content. Those would be things that are considered visuals. And so if I'm reading the copy that you've written and I'm seeing it, then those are all underneath that visual umbrella. Yeah. Personally, personally for you, how, how, you know, difficult or, you know, successful, you know, in the broad spectrum of left to right success and, you know, difficult has it been for you building this brand, you know, from when you had it as an idea to today, when it's like, yo, you in it doing the thing, how, how has it been for you personally? Hmm. For me personally, I wouldn't say starting or building the brand has been difficult because to be very honest, I've been very graced with my brand mm -hmm. uh, or my PR agency. I've never had to struggle for clients. I've never had to go look for clients. Um, that has never been a struggle for me to be very honest with you. If anything, the biggest struggle was getting over my own uncertainty. Like, is this really for me to like launch into it? But once mm -hmm. I made the decision and went full hearted, just knowing that I can have different passions within the umbrella of PR, it like took off from there. Like when I made that decision and agreed with what I felt like God was telling me, mm -hmm. it moved on from there. But the difficulty I would say it was scaling the business and continuing to try to scale the business. And what I mean by scaling is like, you know, what should I be doing for the business to grow? Mm -hmm. What can I be doing that as the business is growing that I'm not losing myself? So like, you know, what kind of team do I need? How can I be sustainable? I would say that part has been more difficult for me than the actual starting of the agency, um, which is just like the maintaining. And honestly, in the maintenance, like I'm really great with like project systems and management and all of that, because that's what I do for others too. So good at that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say the maintaining in the sense of like, do I have vision for my agency like to go beyond? Because it's very easy to kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm able to pay my bills now, so I'm good. Mm. And I'm, I'm trying not to be that way. I, I want to be like, okay, if I'm able to do X, Y, Z now, you know, who can I bring on? Like what interns can I pour into? Like, mm -hmm. who am I forgetting that I need to be considering? Um, and even just honestly, the difficulty of differentiating yourself as a publicist, mm -hmm. because everyone nowadays is a branding expert. Everyone mm -hmm. does everyone does this everyone does that um and honestly i kind of feel like sometimes branding and marketing is the new healthcare where like everybody does it in some kind <laughs> of um and so that difficulty in terms of okay what am i going to offer my clients that is different and what am i just going to even offer the world like i believe you know god gave me my business so it's like what am i going to give to god that he really wants me to do it for and that's something i feel like i'm always uncovering like 
I think I just recently even realized who my type of clientele is. And I've been mm. doing this business now for almost seven years. Mm. Uh, and so, and it literally just came to me this week. It's kind of funny, mm. but yeah. So it's like a lot of what I do is really trial and error. And so the big difficulty is scaling, like I said, and then the other difficulty to be very honest with you is just educating people on why my service is needed. Um, because to my point, because we are the age of social media and information, a lot of people just feel like, okay, well, I can just go on YouTube and figure out my brand plan. Right. But like my own clients will tell you before hiring me, some of them have like bought these courses and done these things and don't get me wrong like the people that are creating these courses i know a lot of them have great intentions some don't but most of them do and so it's not even the course sometimes it's the fact that it is difficult to work on and in your business mm-hmm. and so i'm able to empathize with my clients because i know how difficult it is for me to literally be a pr agency but then also do pr for my own agency so like with knowing that it's like okay we need to work in our business because that is how we're getting clients. That's how we make money to grow the business. But then I also need to make sure that I am bringing attention to my business because that's the only way I stay relevant to even have clients. And Mm -hmm. so that balance, I will honestly say has been the most difficult for me at this time. I'm sure that it will get better and it will change and I'll have a new difficulty because that's life. But at the moment, like that's my difficulty. Just that. So that said, what, what beautiful piece of advice do you have for women who are coming after you in this lane or who are in it right now in your shoes right now? What, what be the advice do you have for them? Mm. Based on your experience, what would you say? Look, this is what I've learned. Like mm-hmm. walk the other way or walk like this. Honestly, <laughs> I have learned not to reinvent the wheel. Mm. I think a large part of like the blessings I've seen in my business is because I listen to people who did it before me, <laughs> whether mm-hmm. that, and that's not even always having access to like call them or something, but I am an interview junkie. Like I will watch the breakfast club. So my eyes are blue. I, I just love it. Like I, I'll listen to Ted talks. I'll read books. Um, I'm just somebody who's really into interviews. And I would say that sometimes as entrepreneurs, we want so bad to like, just be this person that knows everything. And the reality that I learned by looking up to people is that they didn't know anything and they just listened to the people that did. And those people listened to the people that did. And then they took what they heard and made it their own. And so I would say, listen to those that have come before you for like their mistakes and success, and then take what's being said to define what you want it to be for you. Yeah. Um, so like, a lot of times we also can get, can get caught up in, I need a mentor, I need a mentor. Not recognizing that there are literally hundreds and thousands of books that could be your mentors. Like literally books are my mentor. Mm-hmm. Like, and I am grateful of course, for the people I meet in real life as well. But to be honest, sometimes like just human relationships and everything like that, you know, they change, they fluctuate. But if I have a book and someone's telling me what they did and I can read it to see like, okay, does that resonate with me? Would I change this? Should I do this? Should I do that? It really goes a long way. And so to be honest, a lot of the times when we're stressed out and trying to figure out why something's not clicking in our business, the answer we need was already figured out by another business owner. We just need to go seek it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you say it's important, you know what I'm saying, for somebody like you to be an expert in all assets, such as, you know, advertisement and products and events and logos and, you know, or is it easy to just delegate those tasks? Um, I think you should do both. I think you should have an idea of things 
just so that you're informed when you're speaking to people and your clients. But I believe in the power of delegation with my creative director side and even my PR side. I'm like, my team is awesome. I have researchers on my team. I have writers that write with me. I have content strategists. You need collaboration because to be honest with how fast our industry moves, you cannot spot everything and you will not know everything. And so you need someone that can tell you like, oh, Sophia, like this client should be on TikTok or Sophia, this logo is nice, but I think you should add this color because it pops in this way. And so I am all for specialists. Mm -hmm. Like I know that millennials are really big on like, I can do it all. I totally get that. But um, I'm really big on specialists because when you have that person that can see everything it is so powerful when you also have that person that just knows their lane and mm -hmm. is able to help you bring the project to life completely. Um, because there are things that a specialist would know, for example, like a graphic designer may know that this certain dimension will make your image more clear versus someone that's just, you know, kind of scrapping together and only using Canva. Like Canva is great. It's like a mini graphic design tool. Mm -hmm. Canva is great, but that person that can use Photoshop or Illustrator, they can really get down to like, oh, that line is off and your natural eye wouldn't see it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all for delegation. If you want your business to grow. Yeah. Like, I personally do not think your business can grow if you're the only one doing everything all of mm -hmm. the time. I just yeah. think it's impossible. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit here. Uh, yeah. you wrote that being black in the fashion industry is political, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> it's political by default because unfortunately we live in a society that does not always recognize us as even humans. Like we are not even recognized first as bodies to begin with. We're viewed as just these entities that exist and we're just thought to have no emotions, no thought. And if we do have thoughts and emotions, it's like, oh my gosh, the audacity that you think, mm -hmm. or the audacity that you speak up for yourself, right? Like we are literally in a society that for so long has shut us down and put us in closets that when we're in a room, they just want us to be happy that we're in the room. They don't even want us to, you know, say mm -hmm. the AC is too cold, right? Mm -hmm. This is an example, but like, <laughs> and so because of that, whatever we do becomes political by default because we are looked to as like, oh, you know, they must represent everyone. And of course it's not fair. It's not what we should even want to have because we are all people of different experiences. Like you can have two black people from the same place and they will have different experiences on life, different thoughts, different feelings because we're human at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, because of the society we live in, fashion is political for us because we make our statements in our fashion, even down to, you know, the materials we're using, right? Like where we choose to source those materials, mm -hmm. even things like in our African culture, a lot of people don't recognize that African clothing um, was originally really made from Dutch fabrics. And mm -hmm. those people that create our fabrics could care less about our communities. They're not mm -hmm. made in certain countries. Whereas, you know, I know like for example, Kente cloth is actually made in Ghana and mm -hmm. there are other countries that make like Burkina Faso make woven cloth in their countries. But for the most part, when we saw Ankara and other things, I um, mean, Ghana, we call it Intoma. When we saw those things, those printed fabrics, they were not made home. <laughs> They're made from these European countries that are mm -hmm. disrespecting us, but then wanting us to buy their fabrics to make clothing. Right. And so it's one of those things where unfortunately slave trade made fashion political when it started. Um, and so I say that to say that 
we as black people have to be very aware of our platforms when we're in these places mm -hmm. because whether we like it or not they are political and they're politicized and so unfortunately you may do something just in your pure creativity and not even thinking about your ethnicity but somebody from another ethnicity can take that and either demonize our culture or celebrate it and so with that being said, I say political in the sense of the responsibility that we have in the rooms that we occupy simply because of what's been done to us um, and now having that opportunity to reverse those things. So as, as black, as black, you know, brand owners and business people, how do, how do we communicate our brand in a way that is both profitable and uh, not only profitable, but sustainable for, you know, the longevity of our business in this climate? Agreed. Um, I think that the way we do it is to be proud of ourselves, but to also be inclusive. Mm -hmm. And so there's no reason why a black owned business in today's time should think that they should only serve black customers mm -hmm. um, because you have ideas that customers of all races could play into. Someone can literally buy your product just because they like the founder's story. Another person can buy the product because they love that it helped them clear up their skin, right? Like there are different reasons why people buy products. And to be very honest with you, a lot of products are not necessarily different or new. It's just the way it was packaged, especially mm -hmm. in the beauty industry. So it's one of those things where, you know, we can be more profitable when we appeal to a wider audience, but that doesn't mean that we have to lose ourselves in the process of appealing to a wider audience. And mm -hmm. so the same way that these mainstream brands want to donate to black causes, when I can't breathe happens, for example, you know, we can be brands that are always working with those causes, but Hey, our shampoo works for a white girl with red hair too. So it's one of those things where I think we have to be bold enough to brand businesses that, you know, are not even always associated with us. Right? Like I love when I see black owned laundry detergent or furniture companies, cleaning companies, black owned technology, right? Things like that, that people don't even recognize are black owned because the person is still proud of themselves, but mm -hmm. they've created a brand that speaks to people universally. Like a lot of people don't know, for example, that Calendly is owned by an African man, you know, and it's one of the biggest, most used um, project management systems for scheduling. And mm -hmm. I love that when I found that out because it's like, wow, like who would have thought an African person will create this, but then I even have to check myself, like, why can't we create those things, you know? Mm -hmm. And as much as like, I, I love body butters, I love shea butter. That's like even how I got started in branding and PR. But as much as I love those things, that's not the only thing we have to offer. Mm -hmm. You know, like we don't only have to offer shea butter and body care products. You know, there's so many things we can offer. Like if you go back home, our carpentry, even our ideas, even planting, like I love nowadays, I see, I see a lot of black owned plants, brands, mm -hmm. there's so much we can do. And so the way I think we can be in, in excuse me, profitable is by being um, black owned. Yes, but we're also inclusive. And mm -hmm. so I think that's the best way for our businesses to grow. Yeah. Yes. I completely agree. How, what brand or, per, you know, or business if you work with that you would absolutely love to work with a gun or currently working with that you like, yo, listen, if this, when, when this contract is over, I would absolutely love to work with him again. Oh, wow. I feel that way about everyone. <laughs> uh, so because I feel that way about everyone I work with, I'm going to say someone I would love to work with. Uh -huh. uh, 
I would love to work with Pierre Moss, uh, Kirby G. Raymond. He's a designer and the brand name is called Pierre Moss. And I love Pierre Moss because I just love that they really do it for the people. And I love how multifaceted he is. So it's like, okay, we can be luxurious, but we can also sell things that, you know, everyone can afford. And we can also sell things that have a meaning and a story. And we're also going to create like a social works component to it in New York um, through a program they, call, call, they have called uh, My Friends in New York, something mm -hmm. like that. So I love creatives that are not just creating for the sake of creating like no offense but that's one of my like biggest pet peeves mm -hmm. when i see on social media someone has a beautiful image and i totally understand creating art for the sake of creating it but after a while it kind of gets like okay so you did another photo shoot for what like i'm mm -hmm. really big on what was it for like was it to show us ourselves and to make us proud then awesome but was it just to show that you can do a shoot and hire makeup artists and hair and glam like i don't that doesn't really move me. Like I'm really into brands that have a meaning. On and purpose. <laughs> on purpose, exactly. That is my brand. That's what I'm wearing. So mm -hmm. because I'm on purpose and I'm purposeful, I'm always thinking about that. And another person I would love to work with, even though I know he gets a lot of flack, I would love to work with Virgil Abloh because mm -hmm. number one, because he's my Ghanaian brother, period. I don't care. So that's why I love to work with him. And of course we hold each other accountable too. So I'm not saying I condone everything I've ever heard of him, but I love how Virgil is not limited. Hmm. He's like, I'm going to create off-white. I'm going to be the men's lead at Louis Vuitton. I'm going to design furniture for Ikea. And I'm still going to have tutorial sessions for kids in school back in Ghana. Like I love that. Yeah. And so I am really moved by Honestly, a lot of the time, and it's not to say women aren't doing this because a lot of women are doing amazing things and their wives and their mothers and their friends and their sisters. And I look up to so many amazing women. Um, but I do think sometimes I get a lot of inspiration from black men just because in my field, just because of all of the things that have been against all of us and how they're able to not pigeonhole themselves in mm -hmm. a way that I think sometimes people try to pigeonhole us women too much into doing one thing. Um, but when I see black men being able to do different things at a time, um, even if you're not doing it all at once, I'm very inspired by that. And, um, it really moves me. And so like, with that being said, maybe a woman I would love to work with, I would love to work with Amanda Seals in some capacity. I don't know how, but just in some capacity, mm -hmm. um, I'd love to work with another designer named Aurora James, um, who designs for a brand called Brother Vicelli's and Solange. I would love to work with Solange. I just feel like, you know, she defines being multifaceted and I would love to work with my favorite musician ever, Beyonce. I am a big Beyonce fan. I don't apologize for it. Um, and I'm not just a fan because like she's Beyonce. I'm a fan for her process. I love who she hires. I love how her team works. I love how they're just thoughtful. Like mm -hmm. everything she does down to what her nail color is, is thoughtful. And so because of that, I would love to work with Beyonce. I would say she is like my top person. If I had to work with anyone, um, I would either work with her directly or I would work with her brand Parkwood because mm -hmm. I'm just, even their PR team, I'm amazed by them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So for those who would love to work with you, how can they connect with you? How can people reach out to you and awesome. all that great stuff? Oh, thank you. That's such an honor. Um, for people who would love to work with me, you can visit my website at smtpr.me and you can learn more about us, what we do, schedule a consultation. Um, you can also follow us on social media to see like what's recently been happening with us and our clients. And that is on Instagram. 
Instagram at smtpr underscore. And that again is S like Sophia, M like Mama, T like Thompson, P like public, R like relations. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, SMTBR. Dang, I love it. Listen, Sophia, this has been dope. I learned quite a few things, man. And, you know, I, I wish you the best and everything and, you know, hope to work together in the future. Yes, thank you, Reflux. You guys are doing amazing work. I love Stuck in the Middle. I love what you all stand for. And I pray all the blessings and connections for you all in the future. Amen. Appreciate it. Listen, You're if welcome. you are watching on YouTube, we just had a pleasure of speaking with Sophia Mommy Thompson. She is the founder of SMTPR. Listen, hit them up. Get right with branding your business and all that great stuff if you just want to connect with her on you know talk talk fashion talk you know all that stuff i'm sure you wouldn't mind yeah of course on my personal page is sophia mame so mm -hmm. at s-o-f-i-a-m-a-a-m-e yes connect with me i love to connect definitely definitely we're on social media s-i-t-m podcast we are on YouTube, SITM Podcast. That's with a backslash. Hit us up on the web, SITMPodcast.com. I am your host, Reflex. Shout out to AK in the background producing right now. Shout out to the whole team, man. Tutu is on her way to do all the spotlight. Shout out to Inez. She's on vacation. Shout out to Ma. She's on vacation. Shout out to Achiri. I don't know what he's doing. Shout out to Charles. He's on vacation. The whole team's on vacation this week, but we're here. Charles, that's my <laughs> know what I mean? Charles is dope. The whole team's on vacation, but we're here. Listen, thank you so much again, and uh, of course, you have a good one. I hope you do too. Enjoy All your right. week. All right. All right.